welcome to the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris and I'm joined as always by my wonderful co-host Lee. Hello. And we're we're back with a double. <laughs> yes, double yeah. header. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a while mm. since we had a double. Like I can't even remember. I think Senjun Suzuki was our last double. I was thinking that. I think it might be, yeah. No, we didn't have a double. We had a triple. Ugh. We had the Andre oh. Vajjev box set. Vajjev, Vajjev, Vajjev. But like, you know, which, I mean, the hilarious thing of you were just like, this is going to be tough. And then you watched Canal and you were like, I'm fucking in. Let's yeah. And then it was slow diminishing returns mm. for you. Definitely. But how you been? Good, good. Yep, just been on holiday, which is a weird thing to say. Yeah, yeah. like you actually went away. <laughs> I went away and um, I listened to a really good podcast, actually. It was called Inside the Big Day Out. And for ah. our international listeners, it's uh, our biggest music, was our biggest music festival. Coincidentally, on the day that we are recording this, it is the 30th anniversary today of the first ever Big Day Out. Oh, ah, yeah, In 1992, go. yeah. Yeah, no, it was a really good episode. When Nirvana was not the headliner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So it starts with the first episode and they bank Nirvana before Nirvana become Nirvana and then they become Nirvana and then the festival goes ahead. So it's like the rise and fall of our greatest music festival and it made me very nostalgic. So I went through and found some old photos of us at Big Day Out. And oh, is that why you yeah. were texting them? Yeah, nice. So young and fresh-faced we were. Yeah, although I, I had the worst just chin beard. Yeah. I didn't have the full beard yet. I just had like the little fucking chin scruff and it looks gross. I um, I remember wearing a white T-shirt that day. We got on Channel V mm. and um, I got squirted by the hose. Oh, no. So I had see-through white T-shirt on national television. Wonderful, wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, yeah, just looking at those photos, it was just like, let's go to a music festival. (laughs) Just what happened to those youthful people? (laughs) They've been broken down by watching films over and over. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. Yes. Um, I don't know, like, uh, this one's kind of stuff, I've I've been seeing an absolute shitload of movies lately, just Mm. because, you know... COVID's kind of, Omicron's kind of doing its thing here, so kind of trying to lay low um, as best as possible. But I've We've gotten done into... the opposite things. Yeah, <laughs> although you fled the state, so that yeah. kind of worked well for you. Yeah. You went regional, um, yeah. But um, I, I've gotten into this wonderful little habit of, like, wanting to go to the movies, but then I, I found this wonderful thing of you wait till about half an hour before the session starts, and then you look online and you go through the whole process of buying a ticket... Mm. And then you, like, go to select your seat and you can see how many people are in the cinema. That's clever. And I'm like, ooh, if there's, like, less, if there's, like, five or less, I'm like, all right, I'm going to the movies. Yeah. <laughs> so I've seen a whole bunch of stuff at the moment, like uh, Scream 5, ooh. where everyone was like, why the fuck did you go see Scream 5? I'm not like that because we did our Scream yeah. episode. That's uh, why I'm not like and that. And I like the Scream movies. Um, and number five was fucking great. It was super oh, fun. And yay. had a lot of wonderful little weirdness that I just I had a few beers while watching it and I just became that you like need to. yeah exactly there was only one other per like two other people in the cinema and so I became like De Niro and Cape Fear just like <laughs> um, love it because out of nowhere it's like you know how there's always like there's the sheriff and then there's the goofy deputy and in like the original screen, the goopy deputy, deputy is <laughs> David. <laughs> it's David Arquette, Dewey. Oh, Dewey! <laughs> and like so now, like you know, fucking twenty, thirty years has passed or whatever. And so our new goofy deputy shows up, and it's fucking Chester Tam. Who the hell is that? Richardson, get out of the pool. 
<laughs> there's, there's no tool in this pool. It is. He's not an actor, is he? Yeah, yeah. He um he met Andy Samberg at film school and stuff, and like ah. he's he's an actor. Like so, he randomly Chester from a bunch Hot of Lonely Rod. Island stuff. Yeah. Is in Scream Five, and I'm like, "What the fuck is Chester doing here?" I would say you'd be the only person who'd recognize. I don't think even I would recognize mm. him. And then uh, the other thing that made me be like, "Ooh, like the full DiCaprio uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like point at the screen meme." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a sh- fucking Easter egg shout out to my favorite band in the film, which was lovely. So. Any, AJJ? A, a, yeah, there's an AJJ Easter egg in the film. Ah. Because there's like you know it's kind of redoing that previous film. And I think I sent you a screenshot of the movie where I'm like, there's no, disappointed because there's no eggs in this fridge. Yes. Out of, it's the garage fridge. But front and center on the garage fridge is a giant um, sticker for AJJ. But it doesn't say, a, it's like an in-joke. Ah. The bumper sticker that AJJ did. So mm-hmm. like, real weird niche shit that just made me be like, yay, this movie's like made for me. Yes, it sounds it. Yeah. It sounds it. But uh, only other recommendation, uh, if you can't tell, we're stalling for time. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I went and saw uh, Nightmare Alley, uh, Guillermo del Toro's new film. Oh, I want to see that. Fucking loved it. Um, I'm going to put it in that same category as Crimson Peak, um, in that it's a film that I absolutely loved, and I think very few other people will. Okay. (laughs) Um, Interesting. Is it very arty? No, yes and no. It's it's Guillermo, so it's shot gorgeously. Mm. Like, it looks so fucking lush and vivid, and just, it's... Great performances. The cast is fucking next level great. Um, but I will say it's his first film, I think, ever that has no supernatural kind of stuff to Isn't it. Isn't it like based in a carnival or something like that? That's the first half of the film. Oh, okay. and then And then there's a time jump. And for the last half, it's a completely different film for like the second half it's like one of those ones like a psycho yeah and it's deal and like you know to say it has no supernatural elements it's dealing with um people who are in air quotes mediums like you know the people that like you remember that old john edwards guy like yeah the the fake the people who fake being able to communicate with the dead to con people so out of their money yeah so it's very interesting cool little movie i like that one yeah Oh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know, should we dive into the first of our double? Yes, definitely. So, what we're going to do with this one, um, unlike the other times, what we're going to do is we're going to watch the first film, Mm. which we've already just done, Mm -hmm. record our little segment on it, then we're going to dive back in and watch the The second second one. one. Just so we don't get things muddled up and confused. and Yeah. So, our first one is Gate of Flesh. From 1964 by Senjun Suzuki. Uh, In the shady black markets and bombed-out hovels of post-World War II Tokyo, a tough band of prostitutes eke out a dog-eat-dog existence, maintaining tenuous friendships and a semblance of order in a world of chaos. But when a renegade ex-soldier stumbles into their midst, lust and loyalties clash with tragic results. With Gate of Flesh, visionary director Senjun Suzuki delivers a whirlwind of social critique and pulp drama shot through with brilliant colours and raw emotions. Mm. Right. So this is, um, yeah, a repeat 
not repeat viewing. Uh, it's kind of a director that we are revisiting again. Yeah, um, I've now been doing it long enough that, that you, I'm <laughs> that you're remembering directors and actors and style. Yes, yeah, one hundred percent. I believe these are the last Suzuki films in huh. the collection. So, um, of his total of six in the main collection, this is the last two that we're going to deal with. Um, We've seen, f- well, we would have seen four. But I, I think, I think you actually were around or on for the like. If you weren't necessarily on the episode, you might have been around for the first two because they were in like the teens or the twenties. Mm. Um, branded to kill. No, I remember because Bumba came and watched one with us. <laughs> She, oh, yeah. she was there, like, watching it with us. Like, yeah. way, like, forgive us, listeners, this is, like, eight years ago at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, Branded to Kill and Tokyo Drifter were the name of those ones. I think so. I did watch them. Whether I was on the episode, it was another matter. There was a trippy sequence with, like, butterflies yes. and stuff. Yes, yeah. yep, no, I remember it. I yeah. remember it. I watched both. I think I watched them with Tom or something. I don't yeah, know. we were at Tom, like, I think we were at Cole's old yeah. apartment, yeah. Yeah, oh, cool. So yeah. I've watched them all. You've watched all of his films now that are, that are in the collection. That are in the collection. So yeah. good. Hmm. Uh, what did you think of this one? So I really liked it to a certain point. Yeah. And I feel like because we've watched it together, I feel like we're probably going to have a similar reaction. Style, fabulous. Mm-hmm. Love the B grade. Love the colours. Love the characters. Love mm-hmm. the badass uh, prostitutes. Um... But it, it was a bit lengthy when it probably didn't need to be. It could have been a bit sharper for me. Which is fucking weird to say on a film that is 90 minutes. There you go. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of horrible discourse happening online at the moment around like, why is this film too long? Why is this film too long? It's like, there's always that, gr- I forget, I want to say it was Steven Soderbergh or maybe Del Toro said, no film is longer than it needs to be. Like, a good film is never a too... A good film. A good film is never yeah. too long, and a bad film is never too short. Mm. So, no, that was Roger Ebert that said that. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. No, um... And this maybe... maybe could have trimmed it down to a tight 76. Yeah. <laughs> or, um had a bit more substance in certain parts. Maybe yeah. that's what I'm thinking. It, it's one where for the first half hour, I was so fucking in I on this. I was so into Love, like you said, love the style, the setup, the fucking, the way the film is shot and constructed, the, our main characters, it's great. And then at around the 45 minute mark, um, to quote a Furby, mmm, <laughs> boring. <laughs> That's so good. It, it just it it just sort of ran out of steam it for did. me. Yeah. And it kind of got I and I don't know if that was because the first half hour is so wonderfully taking its time to like table set. Mm. It, it it's putting everything in order and in place kind of letting you as the audience know this is the world that we're inhabiting. This is what we're going to be discussing. This is the, you know, our main characters and now go with story. Yeah. And then the story just kind of takes too long to get going. Yes, I agree. And um, I suppose we should start at the beginning. So we start with Maya. Yep. I'm going to call her Green. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> so before we get into this, uh, we have the um, all the prostitutes and they all have a particular colour which they wear throughout the film. Yep. Um, 
Maya, we start with her, and she, she's not part of the group yet. She is a lost soul, would we say? Yeah. This is taking place after the war. Like, right after the war. Um, I mean, you said it when you were reading out the synopsis of bombed-out hovels of post-World War II Tokyo. Mm. So, yeah, it's very much like that. There is a lot of people in a small space. We basically take place around a market. Yeah. And, um, you know... What's well, well they, have, they have this line where it's like, this is their, I mean, to quote the warriors, like, it's their turf. Turf as it, well. It, it, like, yeah. they say, if you see anyone, you know, doing business or, like, turning tricks between this bridge and that bridge, you let us know so we can come and get that bitch. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, yeah, so Green meets Red, and Red is... Is Sen. Is Sen, <laughs> yeah. which just made me think of... Um, Spirited away. Spirited away, yeah. Yeah, and then there was a scene towards the end when Maya is, like, running, looking for, um, what's his name? Shen? Shin. Shin. That's, yeah, because it's Shin and Sen. I kept getting them. Yeah, Shin. Yeah, and it it was, like, her on the bridge, and I was like, oh, this looks like the end of Spirited Away a little bit. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Maya gets taken in by Sen, and becomes part of the prostitute group. Now, yeah. Sen was starving. She stole food from the market. She got beat up. We find out as the movie goes on that she, they've all sort of been a bit displaced after the war, maybe lost loved ones, brothers, mothers, fathers, and now they're a bit up shit's creek when it comes to yeah. Uh, survival. Yeah, and sort of they've come to that realisation that they're able to sell their bodies to survive and yes. things like, you know, unfortunately a lot of people in that situation. Um, but what's kind of cool about these ladies is that they're like, no pimp, no, 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 no person's going to tell us what to do. We're going to look out for each other, have create our own little gang, have our own set of rules. But if you break those rules, you are fucked. Yeah. 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 I love that. It's them finding order in a chaotic world, but I guess it gives them a, a sense of um, belonging, um, safety, mm-hmm. all these sorts of things. Um, we begin with uh, one of the prostitutes. So the number one rule is men always pay. Yeah, you do not give it out for free because if you give it out for free, you're costing us our livelihood. Yes. Like if they find out if a girl gives, can have sex for free, we're, we're out of a job. Yeah, which makes sense. Yeah. Um, one of the prostitutes does do that, gives it out for free. I don't know what to say. Has sex without money. And <laughs> um, Red and the other girls uh, cut her hair off, uh, torture her, beat her up, and then tie her naked to a boat and leave her in the middle of the river. For everyone to like, kind of gawk out. Gawk yeah. out, yeah. So yeah. they don't kill them. But no, but they, they kind of, it, it's like, well. you are banished. Yeah, <laughs> um, So that's, we, we know that what that's the consequences. Yeah. Um, there's the polite prostitute. I don't know what we would call her. What's her actual name? Machiko? Machiko. Yeah. And she dresses like uh, traditional clo- uh, Japanese clothing. She has a bit of a geisha-esque about mm. her. Is that a word? Geisha-esque? Yeah, and, and she kind of talks a, talks a big game about like, you don't know what it's like to truly be in love. You don't know what it's like to truly be a woman. Kind of looking down on the other girls and stuff and doesn't kind of... As we find... As we enter the film, we're kind of... She's kind of on the on her way out from yes. being with these girls. Like, they kind of complain. She doesn't hang out with us anymore. She barely sleeps here anymore. Yes. Like, yeah. So Yeah. Um, whereas 
Maya or Green becomes part of their world very quickly. And I love that these prostitutes, these women, they're strong. <laughs> There's a scene where they teach um, Green that um, we just spit on everyone, fuck everyone, and they go up to... It's like you're something out of a fucking John Waters movie. <laughs> I was thinking about John Waters. I was thinking this, actually, yeah. watching that. That's funny you brought that up. But they go up to a, a woman with her husband just walking down the street, not a prostitute, just a regular woman, and <laughs> spit apple in their face. Yeah. It's ah! like, I almost want that scene, like, re-edited with, like, the girl can't help it, girl can't help it. Like, <laughs> just, like, thinking divine, fucking yes. confidently waddling down the street. Yes, so. these girls are strong and they are in charge, large and in charge. They call the shots. Uh, there's a scene where some other prostitutes from a different group come into their turf and they just beat them up and yell at them and pull them. I love all the handbags yeah. slapping, it with the handbag, slapping them with their handbags. And-, and what's kind of interesting as well is they lay in this interesting rules like the like no no yank GIs, like fuck off. Like yeah. there's that kind of sense of nationalism and that pride that kind of under yeah. uh, like that undercurrent of it all, yeah. which kind of leads to the whole, you know, uh, the whole ethos of the film dealing with the whole, the broken psyche and how fragile the sense of nationalism and how disrupted everyone's lives were in Japan post-World War Two, And by ha- having them just be like, fuck Fuck Americans. Like, yes. not literally fuck Americans. No. Like, the opposite, the opposite of, of fuck, fuck Americans. Americans. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Like, they have these weird moral stances that they're taking. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's I wouldn't say a female empowerment film. It's kind of got that element to it, but it's more a bit of an explore, exploitation fleshy yeah. film. Well, that's, that's what's interesting. It starts off for that first half hour, 45 minutes, so strongly like a, oh, this is going to be a rad female empowerment film. Yes. And reading the synopsis and kind of knowing that Shin is going to enter into the picture at some point, I was expecting it to be a lot closer to The Beguiled. I'm not sure if you're familiar at all with The Beguiled. It was uh, weirdly a 1966 novel, so it comes after this. It's an American novel uh, about a, um, in the American Civil War, a wounded soldier gets taken in by um, a boarding school of women who have stayed in the South and like haven't fled and have kind of toughed it out through the war themselves and it's a similar kind of thing of like each one of them kind of gets fascinated or enamored with and then backstabbings and leads to this ultimate kind of downfall so it's this classic the 66 novel uh, was made into a film in I think 71 with Mm. Clint Eastwood and then recently in 2017 Sofia Coppola did a remake with um, Colin Farrell and Nicole Kidman Kirsten Dunst yeah yeah so I, I expected it to be kind of one of those that kind of story where yes. it's these, especially how it's set up with these strong female women, like eking out their own existence, kind of, you know, being strong and powerful, living for themselves and then enter a man. And he thinks he's going to control the power dynamics and the situation, yeah. but it ends up getting flipped on its head. He underestimates the women. Yes. But it doesn't do that. Yeah. No. Well, yeah. Interesting. It, so Shin is a, I'm, Look, I don't really know, but he's he's like a Japanese soldier that after the war is still sort of doing he's a, he's things. broken and has nowhere to go, and he's just uh, but he's a criminal now. And yeah, he th- he he steals and and fuck shit up for everyone. Um, and 
he like stumbles into I'm not gonna call it the brothel because that's not where they have sex, but it's their home. Yeah, it's the it's their little warehousey gang area. Yeah. Which is really great sets. We've got to get to that yeah. later, but yeah. um I would not live there. But I don't think these women no. have much choice. No. Um <laughs> anyway, and so all the prostitutes become enamored with him, just like you said before. And then we spend the rest of the film watching how that unfolds. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. Like, so good in moments and others just like, what are we doing? Yeah, on, exactly. It's like, what it. what is this kind of ultimately saying? Is it like, because I was so on board and understanding, like, we're doing a breakdown of like, this is how, sorry, excuse me, I'm burping. <laughs> how, how kind of fragile and shattered the everyone's psyche is post-war. But then is it him entering into the picture? Is that kind of then... And how they kind of become enamoured. Is it like, well, is it that everyone's kind of yearning for a family situation, some kind of semblance of normality again? And it's like, I kind of get that, like, why they form their gang and their tight-knit group is, to them, they're creating a family, despite the fact that all of their families are being torn apart. Yeah. And now having a man enter in, it's like, well, do we take it that extra step further and kind of become, like, each one of them trying to get uh, that traditional... Traditional... Yeah, and, and there's a there's an element of humanity versus the rules or the structure of what this group um, has set up. Maya, or Green, um, is really infatuated with him and she becomes horrendously jealous when Matsuko... Matsuko... Um, is being tortured. S- tortured, but she sleeps with him as well, Matsuko... Yeah. He sleeps with her. Which, again, is just a thing of Shin not giving a fuck and just looking out for numero uno. Shin says the only thing to live for is food and sex. Yeah. He is a pig. Are we just going to pause here? He is a pig. Yeah. Wonderfully, wonderfully played, we might add, by um, Joe Shishido. Uh, Good old cheek implants himself. Yes. (laughs) I can't. I can't look at him. I can't look at him. We had him in, what was it? Um, Youth of the Beast. Youth of the Beast. And also Tokyo Drifter and Branded to Kill. Yes. And Jesus Christ. But you made a good point. The reason he got those implants was to stand out. Yeah. And he sure as shit stands out. He's, he's, He's a good actor as well. He is. And this character, Shin, is an absolute pig. Yeah. He, he really is just an animal who eats and just thinks about himself and just... <laughs> There's a wonderful scene early on when the women have accepted him in to, you know, stay with them and he's just screaming at them and screaming at them. He's so frustrated by them and they're like... Everything he says, they just wet themselves out and it's such a funny scene. Well, is that like... that? It's hilarious, those scenes, but is it like the women... Like, he he thinks he can get away with that kind of shit where he's just, like, yelling and screaming at women and stuff and they're like, this isn't how this works, buddy. Like, you're not... And that's why they find it kind of hilarious. Like, it's almost like he's... You're not in charge. He's like a little chihuahua barking at them. Yeah. Yeah. But slowly as his stay continues, their strength um, or their, you know... Unification. Is starting to fall apart. Um, Yeah, so uh, Machiko uh, is seeing a man that she's falling in love with who's not Shin, another man, and... She gives it away for free. I sound so awful, but it's like, how else do you say it? And that's also how they say it in the film. Okay, so. then we'll go with that. Yeah. Um, Yellow is in the room opposite. Who, by the way, we have to say that she is the best fucking oh, character. The best character. Yellow is the best. She is a 
fucking psychopath bundle of energy. Yes. <laughs> I love her. She just falls over and laughs and I don't know. She has like that crazy eyes. Crazy <laughs> eyes, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Yellow runs back, tells Red and everybody else about um, Machiko's... Because Machiko doesn't really have a colour, does she? No, she's very neutral and gay, like, yeah. like you said, traditional and geisha-like. And uh, when Machiko returns, they string her up and... That's, that's when it is moves into full-on exploitation territory, yeah. which is kind of interesting to see, um, you know, Japanese film at this time. Um, I found a great quote from um, Suzuki himself talking about that, because obviously he was famous for making B pictures. Like, you know, the ones we've seen previously, like you, uh, I think Youth of the Beast comes is just before or just okay. after. Like all those crime gangstery movies. Like mm. he makes genre films. Um, that he said on this film that the studio wanted to make a skin flick, and that's all. Uh, we couldn't make a real porno back then, though, so <laughs> this is what we got. Um, so he, his idea of like let's like the studio being like let's make an adult film that's kind of really pushes the bound, like, and so it's like yeah, so an exploitation film, and this is the kind of stuff you'd see coming up like in the similar time in the U.S. through the Russ Meyer pictures, and then later through sort of the new um, the Roger Corman stuff. And, you know, a lot of the great weirdness that's coming out, like now now on Vinegar Syndrome, all those Blu-rays, like these classic weird exploitation movies that skirt the line of, like, this is really fucking... This is low budget mm. and kind of really dark and scandalous what they're showing. Scandalous what they're showing. But they're also not going that far. Like, whenever there's nudity, someone, like, perfectly steps into frame. Yes. <laughs> like, to cover it. There's very little actual exploitation like in that regard it's interesting if you've never been to japan or didn't know anything about japan or you and you just watched these movies i'm thinking the last few japanese movies we've watched you would think japan is a crazy russian place <laughs> but like it's it's really interesting i have been to japan i know a lot about japan and in this would have been crazy back then like mm. absolutely crazy um you know it <laughs> some reason it makes me think of tentacle porn oh wow okay, <laughs> okay hear me out so <laughs> the reason that all these sorts of things exist is because they are such a modest society yeah who follow i'm generalizing here but a very uh, rule followers whatever you want to call it they love again generalizing um media so comic books movies that are just a bit fucking crazy because mm. it's a, that's so removed from it's the, the catharsis every... the release yeah, yeah 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 i think that's what i was trying to say yeah and it's interesting like i wonder if it is unfortunately there wasn't all that much background on this film but i do wonder if it is him kind of looking at that the early exploitation films and being like well let's try and transpose and make that kind of story here because from this point on in the story and the narrative there's not much else that kind of go that happens like machiko after she's tortured and kicked out of the group that's fine and then it's just kind of a lot of nothing a lot of nothing a lot of the the group just kind of hanging out and yeah. turning tricks and being bad people mm. they murder a cow at one point yeah we can't gloss over that there is a fuck scene in this film and i saw about a split second of it and i knew what was coming and i turned away it was rough it's rough so they get a cow I'm only laughing because we were saying cows can't walk stairs, and then all, yeah, <laughs> and then cows coming yeah. in through the stairs. Cows can't. Oh god! 
and then it's just a horrible, yeah, um, mutilation scene. But it, it like that's the whole thing. Like it, it's showing how fucking ruthless. Like you know, laissez-faire Shin is. He he, he just is. flat out took that cow from a guy's cart, murdered it, cut it up to then sell the pound of beef. Like you know the beef off for money and stuff like yeah. he's just that con man con artist guy who just has no regard for other people's property other things lives even it's like. interesting because red and shin they they are gone if we were to think of a scale and you you've, you've passed the point of no return you mm. are you're, you're there whereas we watch maya go from well that's that's the, that's the arc of the film yeah go from innocent scared all these things to then powerful strong and there's scenes where uh, Machiko and the I think it's just just Machiko is being tortured, and we see the in her face. I think she's a great little actress. By yeah, the way. yeah. Um, the torment wash over her, and and she she has a moment of empathy where she empathizes, and she's like wincing whenever there's a a, a blow struck. And then eventually she joins in with the torture. Mainly out of an act of jealousy because Shin's just like, mm, nice body. That's right, yeah. yeah. She sees him kind of looking at her in, as a sexual desire and things, and with sexual desire. So she's just like, fuck you, I, I like this guy. And yeah. it's, and then it, it's because of that she becomes totally broken at that yeah. point. And she sees Red later in the film kind of trying to get Shin's attention. No, sorry, that's not right. It's Machiko. She goes, oh, that Machiko, she's such a devil. I'll be a devil too. And uh, previously, uh, Maya had... um, It's such a weird relationship. She has this American Catholic priest. Oh, yeah. But that's never explained why, how, what, you know. Uh, At the beginning of the film, we find Maya, she's asked... Have you ever been with a man? And then we cut to this weird scene with her. Looks like she's just had sex with someone in a mm. field and these men drop off a priest because that's what you the, do. You the military help, police, yeah. You don't help the woman. You just drop off a priest. Okay. And then we he pops up from then on and he seems concerned about her welfare, but we don't really know. It. Like a lot of this movie, I don't if, know what's going on. That's what I'm wondering if it is that like, again, I'm trying to tie everything back to the world post-World War II of it all. Um, because there's, there's the a... American... There's, that's it. it. It's like the invasion. It's just like, hey, we're here. We're going to help you. We're going to look after you. But yeah. then also the fuck you, I don't want your help. I don't yeah. need your help. Yeah, like, yeah. leave us alone. And then it's like, all right, you want to help me? You want to fucking help me, do you? Yeah. And then that pushes it. So to she, the, to really bring herself to the end point of... I'm a bad bitch or whatever, uh, she forces the priest to have sex with her. Thro- pulls off his crucifix, throws it away, yes. and then next time we see him, he's killed himself. Yeah. yeah. And she it's dark. spits. <laughs> she spits when she finds that he's killed himself. Like at the beginning of the film where we spit on everyone. Yeah. And say, so, ah, oh, I'm beyond this. I'm more powerful. Yeah. I don't care. Um, I don't know if... I'm just thinking going straight to the ending. Yeah, oh, for sure. Let's just... Yeah. So, uh... <laughs> Once, fucking that whole cow thing. What the fuck? <laughs> um, once um, Shin sells some beef, they get alcohol and have a night on the terps. <laughs> and everyone yeah. passes out and Maya decides to drag Shin to the a boat. They had a boat apparently. Yeah. Bite him to wake him up? No, well, it, it's more like I think she is legitimately like she's at that crossroads thing of like, 
you you're if I allow if I keep being with you, I'm just gonna go further down this horrible rabbit hole. So I think she legitimately wants to kind of she's serious when she says I'm I'm gonna kill you and then kill myself. Like yes. she wants to put a finite end to this darkness and this dark chapter that's happening Mm. but in the process her real feelings come out of like I actually I do love you and blah 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 and then obviously the other girls kick them the fuck out but yeah and there's a the steamiest sex scene with no movement I know oh yeah yeah it's so like so many close-ups of shiny sweaty skin and then the fogged up camera so sweaty so sweaty but no movement it's it's but previously we saw a guy sucking on a chick's nipple so I was like what do you where are we going you're allowed a nipple suck but no thrusting (laughs) that's what's allowed (laughs) yes um the other girls find out they're living um no, wait, before that, Matt, um, what's his name? Shin and her make a plan to meet on a bridge and disappear together. That sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah, which is weird. I didn't get Shin's ending at all. I didn't get it at all. Well, it's basically the other girls, like, uh, said and stuff, like, set him up so that the local mob and MPs will kill him just because they're like, fuck you, fuck this dude, fuck off. No, not that, but the bit where he says to um, Green, we'll meet me on the bridge and we'll run away together. Yeah. At what point did he, A, show interest in her? He was always more interested in magic. Well, well, that's... And, like, why now? Like, there's no lead-up. I don't. Yeah, it's interesting that it is kind of a little bit out of the blue. But then that's what's kind of makes it so sad at the end because he's clearly gone to see an old family friend and thing and his, and things and has collected photographs and memories and stuff. To he's planning on changing actually, and changing and actually running away with her. But then yeah, he must have really enjoyed that sex. <laughs> must have. She is. She is a you know really good at just lying there. <laughs> Yes, and then the ending, uh, Shin gets murdered, Maya gets tortured by the girls, she goes to the bridge and finds her brother's flag laying in the river, is that, or did she say the flag was like her brother's? I think it was like her brother's, Like her brother's, so she knows what's happened then. Yes, yeah. And then we pan up and end on an American flag while she says that she won't be defeated and she'll keep fighting. Yeah. So it's basically the film ends pretty much back where we started mm. with very... Is this an L, an allegory for the American... I don't I, know. I get it. Well, that's it. It's like, is it... It just, yeah. Is it that whole thing of just no matter if you get beaten down, trodden down, whatever life throws at you, you just got to keep going, keep fighting, up, yeah. keep going, keep going forward. Is it that? Yeah. Or is it... I mean, at one point I, we were discussing, like, is it an idea of, like... An empowerment of women because the like Maya has this great speech about how uh, she she's fallen in love with um sh- uh, with Shin and has you know slept with him out of love not out of money or you know obligation or anything like that and because of that she's now going to be ostracized is that like a one a statement on like the you know new modernity for women the mm. idea that w- a woman takes her own sexuality into her own hands therefore she's ostracized yeah. like. There's a lot kind of going on, yeah. but it doesn't kind of pinpoint clearly enough what it's yeah. doing or what, yeah. what, what, it, what its overall thesis kind of is. I feel like for a flesh film, 
it's trying to be something more and it needn't have been. Yeah, I've, and it's also one where I'm, like, I honestly think we're probably trying to read into it a little bit much, given, like, Suzuki's quote of, like, eh, they just wanted a porno, That's really. right. Like, That's he's what I like, mean. I'm an exploitation filmmaker, so yeah. it's fine to read into it to some degree. Like, you know, all, all art is supposedly saying something. Um, True. But, you know, yeah. Yeah. But... Going back to what we were saying at the beginning, it's one where like it, the style and the design of this film is so fucking great. The the colors burn your retinas. Yeah, the, it, in a good way. It's that wonderful old nineteen sixties film stock where the brights are so fucking bright and colorful. Yes, some really interesting uh, filmy uh, moments. For example, Red and Shen uh, before all of this happens, he uh, enlists her for sex, and she's in a room and she goes in and out of like a noir kind of thing with light on her eyes and then uh, a spotlight follows her. Oh, that seems fucking rad. Like just around her. It was like someone with a torch just following her. Yeah. And then like the guys with torches are in the next scene. Um, there's some scenes where (laughs) I thought it was like a Barbra Streisand um, music video S thing where you have the shot, but then you have a projection of a different shot. Like the superimposed the over superimposed it. Superimposed over it thing, which I liked. Mm. I liked all the little filminess yeah. things to it. This guy's not just making a flesh film. He's having fun while he's yeah, doing that, it. Yeah, that's the Suzuki flair. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. Mm. No, he's a great filmmaker in that way. Yeah, it's just this story, I think, it, it, it ran out of steam and just... It, it got confused. It... Didn't know what it was saying. Did it and need it, to it, say anything? And it meandered for that little yeah. bit in the middle stretch that just kind of lost us, I think. I feel like we could have had a bit of Shen noticing Maya a bit to make that ending more interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Mm. Well, I don't know. Do you want to hear a little bit of trivia about this one? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it was planned as an adult release. So back then, uh, Japan had the film board had two I two kind of types of film. There was a general release and an adult film, like so one that was obviously meant for you know adult audiences. So like a rating R. Yeah, or like you know one not for families and kids. Like so, <laughs> this was going to be an adult film. And um, the usual pace of production at Nakatsu uh, Productions, which who produced this film, this is going to blow your mind. So it was 10 days of pre-production, 25 days of shooting, and three days of post-production. What the fuck? That's how this film was made. Under that... So basically in a month. Yeah. A month and a week. They, like, you know, four weeks they shot a film. That... Finished. Done. That's <laughs> epic. I wonder if they slept. But also... They were like set pieces and shit. How many days pre? Uh, ten days for pre-production. Because there was one thing that looked like it had been painted on a wall, and you made a comment about it looks like that's the set, and now we're in the the lot. Or we're in the lot. Yeah, this is just the soundstage building. Yeah. yeah so because of that, uh, it allowed Suzuki and his innovative production designer Takeo Kamura uh, very little time to actually construct sets to recreate the uh, post-war Tokyo. Uh, so basically, sets were slapped together using material that was found on the back lot that they essentially stole from other stages. Oh, <laughs> uh, I can see. They- 
there's like this one scene and it's like the church. And, and it's just painted on weed? a backdrop. What the fuck? Yeah, so they stole old sets from the studio warehouse as well as theatrical and used theatrical set design. So it's basically like just put up a flat board and paint something to make it look like the side of a building. That is and, so um, funny. The, the, that basically created the film's realism and basically resulted in everyone being like, that's a unique style. And kind of like you've you've taken something that could have been a hindrance to your film, but you the way you've shot it and the way you've kind of incorporated it all made it uniquely interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is which is kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it was shot in that derelict building. Yeah, which is just such a good design. Yeah, but yeah, but that, that's really about it for the trivia on this one. You said something about the actresses, though. Oh yeah, sorry, I forgot about that one. Uh, so most of the female actresses at Nikatsu uh, refused to work in the film. So basically, back then they had like you know here are our stock actresses for the studio. Uh, they didn't want to work in the film due to the nudity and the subject matter. So the ca- uh, the females in the cast were filled by actresses outside of the studio system, and I think they did very well. Yes. Hmm. Very beautiful women as well. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful women. Um, I was going to say, we don't have someone else's uh, take on this film because she actually sat and watched it with us, so she is null and void. Yeah, I know. I like that because she just sort of sat down and then didn't leave in a good way. Like yeah. She was obviously captured and interested. But then about you know half an hour, an hour into the that film, she, she left. Like, yeah, <laughs> meandering a bit, she's like, I'm yeah, out. Yeah, I'm out, yeah. <laughs> uh, so we'll dive into the Criterion edition itself. Uh, it comes as a one-disc DVD. It's also available to watch on the Criterion channel, and it comes with an exclusive new video Introduction with director Senjun Suzuki and production designer Takeo Kamura, as well as still gallery of rare archival production photos and art, theatrical trailer, and the usual booklet and essay that Criterion usually do. Have you got a tagline? I don't. You don't? I think I need a minute. Do you have one? I do. I Okay, I, I, I came up with one, and I'm, I'm rolling the dice on this stupid joke and hoping <laughs> it's going to pay off. Mm. Uh, here we go. Gate of Flesh. The story of a prostitute. Hmm. You do you realize that our next film is called Story of a Prostitute? <laughs> I clearly missed that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, Gate of Flesh, a titillating tit fest. <laughs> Done. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So on that note, uh, it is fucking hot here in Melbourne today while we're recording. It's 35 degrees and we've had to turn the aircon off to uh, record. So we're going to wrap up talking about Gate of Flesh, turn the aircon back on, and we'll see you in about 10 seconds time. Probably a little bit less than that. Yeah, (laughs) to talk about Senjun Suzuki's 1965 film, Story of a Prostitute. All right, and we are back. That was about five seconds for you guys and about two weeks for us. Yes. (laughs) We had the intention of, like, doing it fairly close together. Like, we weren't going to do it the same day, but... No, but then life happened. Life happened, you know, uh, the school term start, school year started back for you, and yeah. 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 So, we are finally back. Yeah. And we, uh, with part two Mm -hmm. of Senjun Suzuki's Story of a Prostitute. (laughs) It was like you were embarrassed to say, oh, prostitute. I was debating like whether I go spine number this or like, you know, how I was introducing it. And I just kind of had a brain fart. Well, we're we're, (laughs) it's exciting spine number. It's 299. Yeah. So we're going to have the milestone next episode. Mm. Yeah. That's going to be very, very exciting. It's yeah. 
been many a year now since we've hit like a big oh, milestone like yeah. this. So, um, yeah, as you can tell, we can't we can't really be fucked talking. <laughs> Let's talk about next week's film, uh, Life Aquatic. Yes. Um, no, so yeah, we, we've we've watched another Senjun Suzuki film, Story of a Prostitute. Volunteering as a comfort woman mm. <laughs> on the Manchurian front, where she is expected to service hundreds of soldiers, Harumi is ca- commandeered by the brutal Lieutenant Narita, but falls for the sensitive Mikami, Narita's direct subordinate. Senjun Suzuki's story of a prostitute is a tragic love story as well as a rule-bending take on a popular Tajiro Tamura novel, challenging military and fraternal codes of honor as seen through Harumi's eyes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I I like this film. Mm -hmm. I did. Um, I particularly like one half of this film. Yes. And the second half, not so much. Yeah. It's an interesting one. Um, It's... It's a, almost in stark contrast to to the other film. Yeah. Like, where it's even down to, like, you know, the obvious stuff of, um, you know, this one being in kind of very stark black and white. Mm. Um, has some great moments of, like, cinematic flourish. But, uh, like, we were, while watching it, we were talking about it, and it's like, I think the best adjective to use comparing it to um, Gate of Flesh is Gate of Flesh is very pulpy. Mm. Like, it's very kind of bright and cinematic and feels like a pulp novel kind of or a graphic novel like you know something very b-grade and pulpy whereas i I can't i need a better adjective i just keep saying pulpy yeah but but this one it's trying to maybe do you think he's trying to step up a bit or i don't know i think it's necessary because there are like in all of his films there are these beautiful moments of like brilliant cinematic flourishes and you know artistic ingenuity in there but i think it's not necessarily him stepping up i think it's him matching the material or doing an appropriate style for the material so it's less of a you know this is in because this is only a year or so after gate of flesh i believe yeah i'm just going to quickly look it up i think it is uh, gate of flesh was 64 and this is 65 yeah so i mean we've said in the past that um the director's next film is always in Oh, yeah, the Truffaut quote where it's uh, every director's uh, film is in direct opposition of their previous one. Mm. Or in direct response to In direct response, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's similar themes, obviously, prostitutes. um, What else? And (laughs) soldiers. Wartime, yeah. Wartime. Yeah, well, well, that's what's kind of interesting. The Gate of Flesh is being set uh, just post-World War II, whereas uh, Story of a Prostitute is uh, during the Second Sino-Japanese War, Mm -hmm. where it's a um, conflict between Japan and the Republic of China, um, just before World War II. (laughs) Yeah, and I would say this film's significantly darker. Yep, both Uh, in, like, tone tone and... material. (laughs) Yeah. Harumi, our main character, is always at 11. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting performance. Um, but I would say, Gate of Flesh, we're, we're more involved in what's happening in the prostitute's life and I felt like the political um, side of the film was a little tacked on at the end with the American flag at the end and yeah. all that sort of thing. Whereas this one, uh, the political um, tones the whole way through. Yeah. And we're like, like you said in the synopsis, we're seeing it through her eyes. It is her story, but it's so much more about 
yeah, the politics. The, yeah, the politics are very much on the sleeve of this one as com- as compared to the last one, where, yeah. like you said, it's kind of tacked on at the end, and it's it felt I mean, that way. Yeah, all throughout Gate of Flesh, there was that undercurrent of the us versus them, mm. and like that kind of hierar- hierarchical kind of debate going on. Whereas this one is like right from the beginning. We're establishing uh, honor and ethics. Yes, like the opening scene being um, Harumi, like basically being like, "Hey, I I am in love with this man yeah. who is going off to marry this other woman because he has to, like, because of his honor, that, his honor." And, and I, she's just like, "Well, fuck your honor. You I'm gonna th- bite your face off." <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what she does. She's so like, she's like a twelve or a thirteen, more than eleven from the. Right from Jump Street. Right from Jump Street. <laughs> is she a prostitute in the first scene? Yes. Okay. I believe. I believe I so. Believe so because it said, "Oh, it has that one." No, thing. no, actually, no. I, I just have the synopsis in front of me. Like, no, she's not because the first line of the synopsis I read is volunteering as a comfort woman. So I think she's just a woman, and then she's so kind of disillusioned and scorned by what happened in this scenario that she's like, "Oh, fuck it, I'll go off." And we did the math. Fuck, one hundred and thirty. Yes. <laughs> so it's they make a point at the beginning of the film to say exactly how many girls or yep. comfort women. In fact, we have to say that first little bit of the subtitles um prostitute harlot harlot strumpet and i've got to say i think strumpet is one of my favorite (laughs) words it's a good one it is a wonderful word it's not quite a crumpet it's not quite a a crumpet it's a saucy crumpet it's a strumpet can that be your tagline Spicy crumpet. Um, <laughs> um, okay, now I've lost my point. Sorry. I've got up on strumpet. <laughs> yeah, so the opening, kind of the introduction thing, yeah. Yes, and, and <laughs> so then, no, that's right. The film is um, setting up that these women are being taken to the front to service... Servicemen. The <laughs> servicemen. Yeah, service the and, servicemen. And it goes into great detail of uh, letting us know exactly how many women there are. Thirteen. Um, exactly how many soldiers of different rank there are. One thousand. <laughs> and then you and I are just sitting here going, all right, so let's break that down. Yep. How many men do they have to each service? So that's that's the simple math, 130 each. 130 each. And then we get the next scene where they go into, like, details. All right, so from eight to this time, you're going to be servicing these. The enlisted men. The enlisted and then it's the uh, the servicemen, like, you know, the, the non-coms. And then it's the officers. Like, yeah. Where it's like, I found that kind of backwards where I thought it, like... You'd start with the... The officers. But that's kind of a nice move where it's like, you know what? The grunts, the lowly soldiers that have, like, enlisted, like, good for them. They deserve a little something. You go first. <laughs> you go first. The officers can have the sloppy <laughs> sloppy 128s. <laughs> um, and there's a wonderful scene where um, the soldier comes, uh, he's finished, and she's lying on the bed, and he's like, Arigato! And then yeah. uh, he leaves, and the next one comes in, he's like, Konnichiwa! <laughs> <laughs> Just, they're they're so very polite. Honor, like, like, yeah. like, you know how your honour and politeness and ethics, whatever. Like, it's just, it's so funny. Yeah, there's just a line down the block but, for but these prostitutes. We worked out exactly, right? So that's the time slot. So that's the number. So like, it was it was 12 day, hours. 12 hours, yeah. That's a long, that's a long shift. <laughs> <laughs> and each man gets, what did you say, five So and I half did the minutes. math. So it's five and a half minutes each. Oh, five and a half. That's plenty. Yeah, that's plenty. <laughs> These guys have been on the on the front. They haven't seen a woman. Many of them haven't seen a woman or been with a woman for years. So it's it's fine. Five and a half's all good. Yeah. But I mean, three and a half to get out of the uniform. Yeah. 
There's a lot of business There's going on to undress. But, you know, we're laughing. Um, that's probably not what the film was trying to achieve. That's just where we went with it. But it definitely in the beginning uh, sets you up to really go, this is, this is not a great, this yeah. is awful. This it, is not a... This is, oh. Yeah. It's setting up, like, the actual bleakness of this reality. And yes. it's, like, and it's kind of it's, it's kind of a great way to set up how kind of broken Harumi is as a yes. person. To be like, well, I'm just going to volunteer for this. Yes. Because it's, I don't know if it's, like, initially establishing, like, her kind of lack of self-worth. Or mm. if it is her, like, not giving a shit about honor or like is that is that where it's kind of starting to lay that stuff in but and there is that moment when they are driving to the front where there is an attack on the group and the car and uh the other women so i'm getting the fuck out of fuck here this. and they're like and get their suitcases and they're like it's like a two-day walk back into town and they're like yup <laughs> yeah and harimi's like well i don't have anywhere else to go so i'm gonna stay so she is it's establishing that she's a lost soul she's broken and her mental state throughout this film is, like I said, she is she is extra in every scene. She just flies off the handle. She is she's a lost soul. She's yeah. you know, and um, entering it says Lieutenant Narita. Is that right? But we that, Lieutenant Narita is the adjutant. Adjutant. So yeah. in in the subtitles, it's adjutant and. That word, I'm going to forget it the second yeah. we move on because I struggled with that let's just word. Call him, let's just call him Narita. Narita. Okay, we'll call him Narita because, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's another man in Harumi's room with her, another client. He's not finished yet, but damn if Narita got to wait. Yeah. <laughs> He's, he get is... the fuck out, it's my turn. Yeah. And I love that. The other guy, the other soldier, is pretending to be asleep. Isn't that like such a child? Like yeah. a little kitty like, thing. What? No, I'm. I, I, I was sleeping. What? Yeah. <laughs> but but the, my favorite part about that scene is like Harumi, rightfully so, is just like you're a fucking rude, piggish bastard. You're not you're just, my general. You're not in charge of me. Yeah, but and then he's just like you're a fucking filthy whore. Blah blah blah. Yeah. And then Harumi rightfully is just like, oh, is that what the emperor would say? Yeah. And it catches him off guard. He's like, what the fuck did you say? And it's like, you are a lieutenant. You're an officer in this, in this emperor's army. And it's always been stated that you speak for the emperor. Mm. Like, and so if it's basically, she's just like, calling him on his yeah, shit. calling him on his shit. Just being like, you claimed, like, you know, you walk around touting all of this honor and getting young men killed. Yet you are a prick. Yeah. Like you don't actually seem to have any virtue or honor yourself. And his response for that is to beat the shit out of her. Yeah. <laughs> so, and and then uh, and then pretend, like pretty much rape her. Yeah. Unfolding into the next bit, which is very both of us were very uncomfortable watching this mm. scene. Uh, yeah, a rape scene, which was yeah hard to watch. Let's yeah. put it that way. Yeah. But you know, I think uh, as way, most rape scenes are. Well, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I think it sets us up for um, Harumi's. You know what she is doing for the rest of the film and our hatred for the other character and, you know, necessary. Well, the, would we well it's kind of, it's, it's like setting up all the dominoes, basically. Yeah. Like, it's, it's a, and it's a, like, this is a Motivation. shitty, this is a shitty game of dominoes if this is how you're setting it up. But yeah. it's basically establishing, like, so Harumi is like, I don't like, fuck this dude. Like, fuck Narita. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to get back at him by fucking his, like, you know, sec his little... Second in command guy, yeah. like you know, his little helper man. Yeah. Um, which is Mikami. Mikami. Yes. Yeah, so Mikami calls on Harimi the next day to stop working 
you're just going to uh, service Narita and that's it. And Harumi's like, fuck this shit. I haven't agreed to this. I'm going to f- I'm gonna make a plan. I'm going to get with Mikami and then the lieutenant will walk in on us and he'll be so pissed off. What a great plan. And this, I love this in this film that we get to see her fantasies. Yes. Um, unfold. And I think maybe because I watched Gate of Flesh and it's been a couple of weeks, so I can't remember, but I just absorbed her fantasies. Mm. I, I immediately knew I was watching a fantasy, yeah. if that makes sense. I'm not watching a scene unfolding. Oh, it was just a dream. Oh, yeah. oh it was just a fantasy. And then I, she woke up. And then, right. you know, yeah. it wasn't any of that. I was like, oh, I know what's happening here. And I think it was probably the either watching Gate of Flesh just beforehand or, like you were saying, the cinematic flair. It was amazing. They yeah. were my favourite sequences of the film. Um and it, it's weird to say, having now seen, this is my sixth Suzuki film, but it's like, it it looked like I was watching a David Lynch film. Yes, you mentioned that like when we were watching Like the scene where she's in the alleyway just screaming and mm. wailing, but it's, it's, it's like an after, it's like ADR, it's like dialogue, like recorded sound afterwards. So it's her in slow motion, like mouthlessly screaming while this, like horrible wailings going on. It's like this is like straight out of fucking Firewalk with me or Mulholland Drive. I know. I I loved love love that. And another scene where she's trying to make Makami jealous or elicit any kind of response from him, really. And she says, "Are you going to be upset if I return to Lieutenant?" And then she t- he's like, "No, I don't feel anything. I don't care." And then she turns and it goes slow motion again and the lighting changes and she goes into uh, the lieutenant's quarters and it's brightly lit. and It's it's the genius move, I think, of how they did that was it's the exposure and things on the camera is set to that interior room and she busts open the doors and they push the camera out into the light but they don't adjust the exposure mm. so everything looks blown out and mm. hyper bright and light and, and she's it, running up the stairs in slow motion stripping off her clothes yeah. and running into his bed like it's amazing and if you think about fantasy especially one like a romantic or you know this passionate fantasy in your head I almost think you do think that way. Yeah, it's yeah. heightened. Heightened, like, yeah. you know, this is what it'll be and it's not reality. It's not, you know, blow by blow. It is like that. That's what. That's how you visualise it in your mind. Mm. Mm. But then it, the, there's several moments of that early on and then, like, obvious once kind of Narumi ends up actually kind of falling for um, Mikami and, like, they start having their kind of hidden affair... Um, those little nuanced kind of fantasy sequences kind of start to drip away. Yeah. As does the kind of heightened style of the film in general. In general, yeah. Which... And the more political side comes in and there's probably no room for that kind of... I don't know. But maybe it doesn't suit what he's trying to say at that point. Yeah. I don't know. I like, don't know. I, I find it interesting looking at the cast list. Um, Mikami is first billed. Over Harumi, despite yeah. the fact that this is a story. It's called Story of a Prostitute. She is... The story is being told through her eyes. Mm. But I guess it's the idea of the actual thematic journey that is happening in the film is kind of anchored within Mikami's story. And it's all about honour. Mm. And this is where the film really dives into that. Yes. And as such, loses my interest. Yes, I am 100% there with you. Now, in the synopsis, I noticed it said, um, tragic love, as well as a rule-bending take 
on the popular novel. So, I mean, obviously I don't think you, you haven't read the novel. Oh, I God, have, no. I haven't read the novel. No. But a rule-bending take makes me feel like I wonder if this novel was about honouring code and so the take that Suzuki is taking is almost anti the point of the novel in general. I don't know. Do you I, know I've, what I mean? Yeah, I've got a little bit here on that if you want. Yeah. Um, because the book was actually uh, adapted into an actual kind of more straight romance film actually. Uh, called Escape at Dawn. So this is actually the second film ag- film adaptation of this novel. Yeah. Um, the first one, Escape at Dawn, was co-written by Kira Kurosawa, weirdly. Ooh. Um, but for Suzuki's adaptation, he drew upon his first-hand experiences at wartime at the wartime front to portray the conditions and behavior in a more realistic light. Uh, what was presented in the film and the actual condition... Uh, Sorry. What was presented in the film and the actual conditions probably aren't that different, Suzuki said in a 2005 interview. Most Japanese war movies portrayed the era with healthy doses of tragedy, but Suzuki infused an air of ludicrousness in the film. His opinion of uh, his own opinion of wartime military experiences was that besides the brutality, it was extremely comical and absurd. Mm. Which I think he's definitely leaning into with the whole I mean, that's, that comes to play heavily in the finale of the film, where it is having these soldiers reciting the Code of Honor. Yes. It's this absolutely ridiculous... I think it's satirical. I wouldn't call it comical. Yes. That, I think that's a way better word to use. Yeah. Because I think, like, Gate of Flesh was hilarious. I remember it's the bit where the girls have decided, ah, oh, fuck this, where we can... We're going to go around spitting on people spitting and stuff. Spitting our food yeah. out in people's faces yeah. for no reason at yeah. all. Fucking hilarious. Whereas this one... Uh, I it, it's kind like of bleakly, was... darkly funny. I think there were moments that were on purpose funny. Like I said, the... the, <laughs> the, Kermit, the frog... yeah, the, oh, the Kermit the, the Kermit frog. The frog fall and stuff. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a shot where there's... I forget which character it is. is is like up in a, like a close-up or something up towards the front of frame and someone runs past them and just knocks them out of frame like a Muppet. Oh, and it's just... if you, Yeah, you'll know it. If, if you know the Muppets, you'll know the shot. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like, there, there's definitely funny moments, but it's not as funny as Gate of Flesh. But, no. Or um, any of his other films, I would say, like, you know. Not, yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, it is, it, it's that thing of, like, it, it's, I don't know if it loses me because it's like, okay, I get it. It's a very yeah. on-the-nose oh, kind very. of satire. And yeah. because of that, you're like. Let's I'm, get to the money. Yeah. And, I mean, it's, it's the last half hour. For, like, we know where it's going. And we kept saying, like, it was the second time he's having the scene with the Japanese, um, the former Japanese officer who's now sided with the Chinese. And it's, like, basically, like, no, it's uh, I, I'm supposed to kill myself if I'm captured, blah, blah, blah. It's, like, yeah, we know. we li- This is literally the second time in a row we have, we're having this yes. scene. Yes, so uh, Harumi said does it, and then, yeah, the second guy does it. And it's, like, it's the same scene twice. Yeah. Oh, so- I mean, I will. I do want to quickly jump in because we jumped kind of ahead quite a bit. But yeah. like, this has come after I think the the final moment of amazing cinematic storytelling is the battle sequence, Ooh. where you have Harumi running silently across the battlefield while fucking rockets and fireworks and explosions oh. are going off as she's like running to find her love, like in a trench and things. There, it's there are fucking shots, amazing. There are shots in this film that just alone make it worthy of being in the Criterion yeah, Collection. Yeah, and, and, and definitely that, worth watching as well. That scene, 
that shot is fucking bangering. Yeah, it, it's an incredible sequence, but it, it is sort of after that point, it then becomes very kind of dry, to, yeah, s- to lack of a better does. term. Like it's, And even in the way that it's shot, like there was the scene where, like later on after, you know, they've gone back to the Japanese camp and uh, uh, Nakami's going to get court-martialed and things. Um, so Harumi's having a chat with Narita, and it is, I, I said, like, this looks like a Kevin Smith film. It oh is shot God. flat from the other side of the room, just they're standing there side on. And you said, like, this is a this is a major, this is the moment she wanted. She wanted him to know about um, Mikami, mm. you know, all this, and it's just, like, so... But, I mean, I, I guess in that case is the starkness of the way that it's shot is because she's finally getting her wish of, like, the fucking with this guy, but it's come at the cost of... His life. His life, so therefore she's removed it, and it should be a sterile. It shouldn't be shot in this joyous way. Maybe, but I also think, no. Yeah, I think it's it, based I think on... it's ev- a moment lost. Like, the framing from that point on gets... I mean, with the exception of there's the one part where um, Nakami is, like, debate, like coming to terms with his fate in the jail cell, and it's mm. sh- shot, like, from all four sides of his head. Like, that's cool. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. I think, um... I think it, it's one that maybe in some ways haven't hasn't aged well. Yeah. Maybe back then it would have been fine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, now and, it's, you know, it's as, as we its as we were saying pace. with the with the previous one, like Suzuki is a proud B grade filmmaker, yeah. and you know, it, it's that thing of like I make cheap low grade films. If I can infuse some interesting shit in there, I would go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if like you know. He's running and gunning and just making some interesting stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think because of that, it just like it just peters out for yeah, me. Yeah, peters out. That's exactly what it does. Yeah. And even the final scene with the grenade, that scene went too long. I know. You're like, how long is the fuse on this thing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it, it's like, yeah, that, that I did like that nice reveal of like he asked for the grenade and it's like, oh, it's not for escape. It, I mean, it's for escape, but not. The you type are, of escape she's thinking I of. I love watching it with you because you're like, ah, oh, see? And then you're like, I'm like, wow, that I didn't. I'm like, <laughs> you are like so on the ball with mm. what's about to happen in a film. And I've I'm seen a like, lot of movies. I, yeah, know, yeah. I know story structure. I know I'm where like, this is going. I'm like, huh? What? Oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> I think that might be why I kind of was turning, like not turning on it, but becoming less engaged is because I, I was, I saw where it was going, going. and what was happening. Yeah. And it just was... It was almost like, come on, get can we get there already? Yeah. And I think like we also said like towards that back half when it kind of the stylistic elements kind of drip away and it becomes kind of you know like less of a Suzuki stylistic film. We were like, well, is this? We we're wondering if that is because by this point in the film he's relying on us being like emotionally connected with the characters in the story. I was going to say that um, unlike Gate of Flesh where the main... And I'm sorry, I've forgotten the characters' names. The main characters don't have a relationship so much, but we can really feel the main girl's um, lust for him or whatever we want to call it. Mm. And so you're with her and when it goes through the motions, you're like, yeah, you know. He's really showing us with his visuals that that kind of emotion. With Mikami, like he's such a proud, stern soldier that, you know, she's she's madly in love with him and it's just like, why? Yeah. I mean, they have their 
Like the roll in the hay moments. Roll in the hay nice. moments, and you know he's he's a virgin. She probably oh that's a nice refreshing change. Yeah. Um, oh, this would be quick then. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I wasn't like oh okay yeah mm. cool yeah okay. And it just kind of yeah I think with us being not as emotionally invested as we were with Gate of Flesh, it by the time that this. The visual storytelling takes a bit of a backseat. We're like, uh, come, yeah, come on, come, come on, on, come on. Mm. The home stretch just didn't kind of land with us. Yes. And it's that, as you said, like the, the thematic arc is, and like, you know, what the film's saying is so kind of on the nose of like, this is a satire and a critique on the honor code of Japan. Yes. And the military. Mm. And isn't that stupid? And blah, blah, blah. This is weird. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, no, we, we got that. And I think the audience maybe that it was for at the time would have been like, yeah. Yeah, like as we were saying watching it, it's just like I don't. This wasn't yeah. released in Australia. You said it was. It, it showed at a film the festival. Adelaide Film Festival in 2003. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's not for us. No, and it was that thing of like I get it's as well like because there's absolutely no setup at the beginning that it's what, the scene of what, which war. Yeah, it which is. war. Um, we had to look it up because you know there, there's things that are. Um, in this film that are, you know, not explained because you, yeah. you would just know it and we and I, didn't. And I think it is like, you know, obviously there's the assumption that there will be sort of, there's an international market for films, but at the same time, this, it being a B-grade, low-budget film, it's like, we're, we're making this primarily for a Japanese audience. Yes. And so because of that, we're under the understanding that they're at least familiar with the novel, the story, the setting and all that. So yeah. we're just not, Yeah. It's, it's, it's... Look, it's great moments. There's yes. moments of brilliantness that we were like, oh, this is so fucking cool. Um, but overall, meh. Meh. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it is, a, I, you know what, for those, for those few amazing stylistic moments, I, it, it's like a oh, solid three stars for me. Solid. Like, but it, it's... As a whole. Yeah, it, it kind of lost me. Yeah. But, you know, 100%. It, if you've never seen it, it is one I would recommend. Definitely. Checking out at least up until like that amazing battle sequence. And then you can switch it up. If, you, <laughs> if the film starts to lose you, you're not missing much. Yeah. <laughs> um, but do you want to hear a little bit of trivia? Yes, and by please. little bit, I mean little bit. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Suzuki could not film on location in China, so studio sets and lookalike locations in Japan were used for the film. And that is all the trivia that I have for this one. Yeah. Um, like I said, just a little bit. <laughs> well, but there was something I, I queried you on, and I, I'm sure you don't know much about Japanese porn. <laughs> mm, go, uh, on. go on. I said, like, in the, at this time, I wondered, like, what kind of porn they had back mm. then? Because I'm sure in 1960s America, Australia, you know, we had the porn cinemas, like, I think... Yeah, and, and to had... clarify, Lee's meaning, like, the time that this film was made, made. like, 1965, not yeah. 1935, 40. Because like. we, we made this comment in Gate of Flesh about uh, modesty and, you know, honour and all these things that we've been talking about, but yet <laughs> some of their art is like full on. And yeah. this film would be pretty full on for back then. That yeah, yeah. scene with he, the rape and all that. Yeah, Suzuki was always kind of battling with the studio and stuff, trying to kind of push the bounds of what he was allowed to get away with and yeah. things. By like, you know, just simply showing, you know, 
brief glimpses of nudity or implications of sex and stuff like that. This would have been crazy back then, I thought. Yeah. And that's why I queried about the porn thing. Like, was this their porn? Yeah. And then you said an earlier spy number was... Uh, yeah, the, this film called The Pornographers, which is all about the kind of emergence of underground pornography in, like, the 1930s and 40s in Japan. And, like, you know, doing these little... On the, on the sly, like, Super 8, you know, like, 8 millimeter kind of shoots and stuff and then like yeah it was a, it was a weird little black comedy it's fucking dark because it's like you know get the girl drunk so she'll do like you know it's, yeah, yeah. there's some real seediness to it yeah and then, then I, I don't know it went kind of weird and he goes off and he lives on a boat I don't remember much <laughs> <laughs> I myself yeah. was drunk <laughs> yeah it was, it was an odd one but it, yeah. It, yeah but no, that's kind of my understanding of the porn industry it was kind of uh, it was underground yeah because that's what I'm wondering like this would have been fucking crazy back then unless they had porn, which it sounds like they did, but it wasn't as accessible. I mean, my very, very limited understanding is that, like, coming out of post-World War II and stuff, the idea of, you know, regaining honour and valour and stuff and kind of virtue is something that's on the forefront of the Japanese culture. Mm. And then the kind of more westernisation and kind of liberalness kind of came in in, like, the late 70s, early 80s. That's when that kind of rise started to happen and the modernization i guess so we're not here yet in this film but we're getting there getting there basically yeah yeah Yeah. it's interesting isn't it Mm. it's a yeah cool time period and i really do like watching internet because i mean obviously everyone goes to the 60s as like the great emergence of american independent cinema with shit like you know easy rider and stuff like it's this new wave of filmmaking is coming through but what's interesting is, like, that exists almost in every other country. country like, you've yeah. got, you know, the French New Wave happening, and then you've got Bergman doing his thing, and then you've got these really interesting films coming out of Japan at the same time as well. Like, I mean, fuck, but, I mean, aside from the Kurosawa of it all, like, you've yeah. got, yeah, interesting stylistic directors kind of emerging. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you have a tagline for this one? I do. You already know mine because I told it to you earlier. So my tagline is, when the feeling's gone and you can't go wrong, it's tragedy. <laughs> so because, perfect. And it, it makes no sense to our listeners at this point in time, but at the end of the film we both yelled out, tragedy, when the feeling's gone. <laughs> oh, yeah, when their bodies are burning after blowing up on a grenade. That's what we were seeing. Yeah, that, so that's, that's how connected we were. <laughs> That's why that's my tagline, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mine is prostitute, harlot, strumpet, love, honour, obey. Just some simple little words there. All right, this is me jumping in during the edit right now. Uh, Since it was many weeks since we watched Gate of Flesh, I totally forgot the bit that I was doing. Uh, So... No uh, no story of a prostitute as my tagline for that one. It didn't work anyway. Anyway, whatever. Back to the episode. Um, but she didn't watch this one with us, so I think it's about time that we find out what Claire thinks this one's about. Alright, so that new jaunty little... I forget what it's called. I think it's called, like, Sneaky Sneak or something. Sneaky Sneak. <laughs> that is that is the new theme music for... I do know what you think of me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that is the new theme music for Claire's... What's that movie about? All right. So this week, this episode, we have Senjun Suzuki's Story of a Prostitute. Now, you weren't on earlier in the episode 
because you sat and watched Gate of Flesh with us. Yes, I did. So it's that I same. I think, except maybe the very end. Did you, I walk you, away you at bailed. the last Yeah, especially when there was like minutes. cow slaughter and yeah. things. So this is Senjun Suzuki's Story of a Prostitute. Okay. And there's the Criterion cover for you. What is Story of a Prostitute about? So, I can take some details I already used in watching the other one and use that to my advantage, hopefully. Okay, so, because Story of a Prostitute, it's actually the story, it's the backstory of um, the prostitute that they um, shave and put down the river. Oh, so you think it's like a prequel? It's, her, it's like a prequel. It's ah, her backstory okay. and how she got into that life, and also like what her morals and experiences were. Especially because she was actually a prostitute during the war, not just after, but during the war, and like what she has to do to get her family out of trouble. That is. My story. It's very quick. It's very easy. It's a prequel. To the point. Yeah, I like it. I mm-hmm. like it. But it's just a prostitute, not a bunch of prostitutes in different colours. I like it. Yeah. Concise, concise. You're wrong, but oh. yeah. You. I mean, the, the, the overall idea is kind of right, but it, no, it's not a prequel. It's not connected to the last one. Oh, damn. That would be fun, though. Yeah, would it, though? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so we haven't recorded Claire's section yet, but <laughs> so I, I know am what she said, but so intrigued to hear what she thinks story, story of, of a prostitute, prostitute is 1965 about. Japan. And based on and from the same director, because she watched Gate of Flesh. She so. watched so, yeah. yeah. It'll be interesting. Hmm. But we'll move on to the Criterion edition itself. Uh, it's still in print from Criterion as a one-disc DVD. It's also up on the Criterion channel to stream and it comes with ex- <laughs> <laughs> it comes with an exclusive new video interviews with director Senjun Suzuki, production designer Takio Kimura, and film film critic Tadeo Sato, as well as the original theatrical trailer and the usual booklet and essays that Criterion usually do. Cool. Yeah, so that is it for Suzuki. We are we are done. No more? No more Suzuki in the I collection. Like I was just getting my head around him. Yeah, I know. And it, I mean, you, you've watched like five, because uh, yeah. you were back on one of the originals, yes. I think. So you've seen most of them. But oh, look at me. That's it for another filmmaker. But we will be back in a fortnight's time with a milestone 300 spine number, and also diving into a filmmaker we're very familiar with. Yes. Mr. Wes Anderson with The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. <laughs> Full title, please. Yes. <laughs> I think it'll be interesting because we're going to have a few friends on for this one, but yep. we're also a bit polarised when it comes to Wes Anderson, aren't we? Yes, we are. So, so we're going to have one guest on... Oh, just Who, one? No, we're, oh, oh, we're, one guest, oh, oh, oh. it's uh, their favourite Wes Anderson film. Mm. And we're going to have another guest who really doesn't like Wes Anderson, in particular this film. <laughs> so oh. we're going to have... We're going to have double polarisation. Yeah, so it's going to be like two against two, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Who will win? Yeah, spoiler, it'll be a battle royale. <laughs> Team Zizou versus Team Hennessy. <laughs> Um, But otherwise, uh, thank you again for listening. Um, As always, you can rate and review the podcast on all the usual podcast apps. You can send us an email at thecriterionquest at gmail.com. Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff's in the episode link, uh, in the episode description, as well as a link to our Patreon. We've uh, just put out our most recent commentary on American Psycho. 
yes. which was a whole lot of fun to record. Oh, I fucking love that film. And uh, we're, the next one we're going to be doing, which will be coming out on the 1st of March, is going to be a romantic comedy. Yes, which we haven't decided yeah, on yet. Yeah, TBD at this point. Ooh, TBD. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But uh, we figured, you know, being post-Valentine's Day, it'd be fun to dive into some romantic comedies. Aww. Hmm. But again, thank you for listening. Uh, For this week's episode, I'm Chris. I'm Lee. We'll see you next time. Mm